I love a I love a good story, especially when they're true, um, and, and and even more so whenever they're whenever they're gripping and and compelling. And I was gripped by this story last week. It's presented on a number of different news outlets, but I happened to see it on uh, on CNN, and I want to share it with you. Um, it's about a lady uh, whose name is Ashley uh, Ashley Bridges. Um, should have a picture of her here for you. She's she's uh, 24 years old, and for for Ashley, in in her mind, life was good. She and her boyfriend Jonathan were in love, and and along with with her son Braden, they they were excited to become a uh, a family. There was only one distraction in her life, and that was her aching knee, which she said began to bother her around the spring of of 2012. And after multiple trips to the doctor's office, they they told her it was probably just arthritis or bursitis and when it didn't go away, she went back a couple of months later and she was told that it was just something that she was going to have to to live with. This went on for over a year and finally Ashley who lives in Menifee, California, couldn't walk anymore and was referred to a specialist in in October 2013. But before she made it to the specialist, the pain got so intense that she had to go to the hospital. And um, her toes went numb. And they went to the hospital, and they obviously did an x-ray. And She said they no more wheeled her to the, to the waiting room to wait for the results when, when she was immediately turned around and rushed back into the, into the room where she found a doctor waiting to speak with her. And, and he looked at her soberly in the face and said, you have bone cancer, a cancer known as osteosarcoma. She was just 24 years of age and obviously shocking news for, for anyone. She said she couldn't believe what, what she was hearing. She underwent surgery to replace her knee and they removed the majority of her femur and the doctors then also recommended that she start chemotherapy immediately. But there was a big risk. Uh, Ashley was 10 weeks pregnant with, with her baby. And these are her words in talking about being confronted with this reality of knowing 24, she's got a, a terminal diagnosis and, and being told that what she needs is is chemotherapy, being 10 weeks pregnant. They told me what would likely happen to Paisley, that's her daughter's name, that, you know, she most likely wouldn't make it. And I just knew. It wasn't a choice to me. It was like, this is what needs to be done. She's first. I'm not going to kill a healthy baby because I'm sick. There's nothing wrong with her. Her life is just as important as mine, if not more important. I mean, as a mother, my job is to protect my kids. End quote. Unwavering in her decision to delay treatment is a choice that, that ultimately cost her her life, or at least some time on her life. After giving birth to her baby, whom she named Paisley, she immediately started treatment, but after several rounds of, of chemotherapy, she was given less than a year to live. 
She's still alive, as far as I know. Ashley says she has no regrets. When asked about what her legacy might be, she softly breaks down and says, I want my kids to know how much I love them and how much I fought for them. I think the thunderclap to me in that in that whole story, and what gripped me was just that one line, which actually is the title of the article, believe it or not, in CNN. And this is the title. I'm not going to kill a healthy baby because I'm sick. I mean, that to me just, just summarizes everything about, about that story. And, and let me take it even a step further. I don't even think, or I'm not sure, that Ashley is a believer. This is not a Christian that's coming to this decision. This is a woman who had a, had a baby before she was with her boyfriend and got pregnant with her boyfriend, and now she's, she's got terminal cancer at, at 24 years of age, living in California, no less, not exactly the, the, the morality central of, of the United States. And yet she acted upon an inclination given to her by God. And that was life is a gift and life must be protected. And when diagnosed, she tried to save her life. She, tried, she understood her life as a gift. She didn't try to throw her life away. She had the surgery and had the, you know, the majority of her femur removed. And, and obviously that was excruciating pain. Life is a gift. She acted on that. But she also acted on that. The, the truth and the, the instinct that, that life should be protected. And when she was put in the position between, to choose between her life and the life of another, and that sole decision lies within her hands, from a human standpoint, she chose to protect. And whether she realized it or not, she was fulfilling the gospel of John, greater love has no man or woman, in this case, than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. And in this case, it wasn't a friend. It was, it was her own child. Now, living in Lynchburg, the fact that you're here this morning, whether you're a believer or not, I, there's no doubt you've heard of Roe v. Wade in 1973. And the last time that I looked up the statistics... Um, there's a several million difference between the number of, of babies that have died and, and today. 56,662,169 legal abortions have been performed in the United States alone. Now, just to give you a grasp of that number, there's, there's a, a little over 7 million in, in the state of Virginia. This is 50, almost 57 million. So take the state of Virginia and completely wipe all the population out and you still have 50 million as far as that number is, is concerned. And according to the Guttmacher Institute of Reproductive Health, nearly half of pregnancies among American women are unintended and 4 in 10, it's 40%, are terminated. 60% are obtained by women who have one or more children. 50% are younger than 25 years of age. 
50% are younger. 50%. She would fall in that 50% category. And while it's sad in the, in the women in these statistics, the statistics are sad, but, but the women there are victims as well. You, you should not have hatred for them, but for the system that preys upon them. If, if you want to get angry, if you want to have righteous indignation, don't have righteous indignation for, for, the, for the 16 or 17-year-old girl who doesn't have a father at home and has never been to church and, and, and never had opportunity like you have, and then someone comes along whenever she's in a, in a trying situation where she's trying to make life and death decisions and they lie to her. Don't have hatred for her. You have righteous indignation for a Planned Parenthood or somebody like that that comes along and deceives that poor girl to doing something horrific, that she will be a victim the rest of her life. It's a system that preys. The abortion rate among women living below the federal poverty level is more than four times that of women living above it. The reasons that people give for, for making that choice to do the understanding the responsibilities of parenting and life. Three-fourths of women cite a concern for responsibility to others. Three-fourths say they can't afford the child. Three-fourths say that having a baby would interfere with work, school, or the ability to care for dependents. And half say they don't want to be a single parent or they have problems with their husband or partner. Really, they're the target of the system as well that preys on the poor, that manufactures fear, and that keeps them in the dark until they make a a horrific choice. The dignity of human life is is not a Republican or Democrat issue. It's a God issue. It really is. Now, rest assured, there is a just war being waged in the political trenches, and rightly so, but the value of, of human life is is much greater than a political football or the platform on which a candidate, a candidate runs. It's, it's the epicenter of society and morality and the understanding of, of life. That's why it has to be at the center of politics, because it, it really matters that much. This morning I just want to take you to the Bible and, and show you what God thinks about the, the dignity of, of life. It'll be very simple and very clear but if you'll pay attention and you'll look to the Word, it, 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 it could be very profound. There are voices everywhere. There are voices in your own heart and in your own mind. There are clearly voices on CNN and other places. And they are trying to convince you to think a certain way about life, about sexuality, about a number of things. God has also spoken. And He wants us to understand what He says. So... There are five facts about human life God wants you to know. And the first fact is that life is God's. Life is is God's. In Genesis 1, the Bible, think of the Bible as, as a single story. God is the main character and God is revealing Himself. The Bible tells us that because of the fall, as human beings, we don't know Him, we can't know Him, and the information that He communicates about Himself in creation, 
We suppress that truth because of our unrighteousness. And so the Bible comes along. God reveals Himself through the, through the, through the Scriptures, through the Word, tells us who He is, who we are. And He starts that story in Genesis 1 with, there is a God and I'm the Creator. In the beginning was God. And He created the heavens and the earth. And He is the one who is the giver of life. It doesn't say by some system. It doesn't say by chance. But by His own power and sovereign choice, God created life. He is the giver of life. Life is God's. Your life is not your own. It's God's. He gave it to you. Colossians 1.16 declares the same thing in the New Testament. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. All things. Job, even facing the death of his children, declares. Job 1, verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell to the ground, and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Now, why does it say that in all this he did not sin? It was because Job understood that God has the power of life and death in his hands, and that no man should, should take up that power unless ordained by, by God Himself. Life is God's. It's His. Job 31, 15. Did He who made me in the womb make Him? Psalm 139 that Tim read this morning said, You did form my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb, the King James says. David said, God, God literally knit me together in my mother's womb. And, and the idea of knitting carries, carries the, this, this, this intricate participation. God is, is the creator of every life. A knitter takes wool or yarn and weaves it or works it and it becomes something that it wasn't. I mean, you don't just take a ball of yarn and throw it out there in the middle of the floor and wow becomes a sweater. Someone takes it and they knit it together. And, and that word by the Holy Spirit through David was specifically chosen to help us to understand. Through the parts provided by human sexuality, they come together and God knits them into something that alone they were not. It's an everlasting creature. It's an amazing thing. It's a miracle. John Piper said about this verse... The least that we can draw out of this text is that the formation of the life of a person in the womb is the work of God. God is the thou in this verse. Further, we can say that the formation of life in the womb is not merely a mechanical process, but something of an analogy of weaving or knitting. The life of the unborn is, is the knitting of God. I love that line. And what he is knitting is a human being in his own image, unlike uh, 
any other creature in the universe. That means the taking of life. If life is God's, that means the, the usurping, the taking of that human life is an assault on God, not just the baby. Whether that's euthanasia, or as you're seeing in Psalm 139, the baby in the, in the womb. It's not a matter of human choice. Sure, there's a human choice that's part of the process. And sure, God allows human beings to make choices that He'll call them to account to one day. But it's not just about that choice. It's about, it's about God. It's an assault on, on Him. It, it's an attempt to, to wrench from God's hand what what is His, that He declares is His, even from the very first verses of the, of the Bible. You can't take what God is forming and knitting and nurturing and then, and then kill it and that not be an attack on God. It's His work. And it's also valuable to Him. Let me give you the second one. The second fact is life is valuable. Now here's where I really want you to pay attention. Because there's, there are a couple things that that are going on in, in our culture. This has been going on in our culture for, for a long time. The whole issue of sexuality has been going on in our culture for a long time, but it's really become, become to the, come to the forefront in the last ten years. And you have to understand what God says, what the Bible teaches. You can't just say, I'm for this or I, and I'm against that. You have to be able to articulate for yourself and for others why. Why is abortion wrong? Why is euthanasia wrong? Why does it matter in, in, in stem cell research? You know, what's wrong with a person who wants to take their own life, who's suffering, and wants to end it on their own terms? What's wrong with that? Well, if you look at it just completely on a, on a human level, it might be logical, it might make sense. Who wants to be in pain? Or as it was taught to me whenever, whenever I was young, you know, you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to grow up as a baby in a single home, scraping together two nickels. You wouldn't want to live in four. It would be better off for the child if, if the child was 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 just aborted up front. That's a good thing. What about population control? You don't want to bring all these children into the world, and they're hungry. I mean, you're going to curse them to a life of poverty. So let's let's promote. Uh, family planning and abortion rights in in uh, in Sudan or Africa or wherever it is. Those are the arguments, and those make sense from a from a human standpoint. But what does God say? And do you understand what God says? And here really is the is the central focus. Not only is life God's, but but God determines the value of life. You don't determine the value of value of life. I don't determine the value. God determines the value of His own creation. He's the one that sets the boundaries. He's the one that says human beings are made in His image, in His likeness, and they're distinct from animals. I mean, you, you, you look at PETA or somebody like that where they talk about the, the chicken holocaust that Chick-fil-A is, is committing because they're killing all these chickens. They really believe that. They really believe that an animal is on the same level as a human being. And in a lot of cases, they're exalted above a human being. Well, where does that come from? It comes from, you know, a mental disorder in my mind, but there's probably some other things too. It, it comes from the idea that things are out of order. Animals are on the same level as human beings. 
And yet God is the one who determines who has value and who is what. He doesn't say animals have no value. They do have value. You should care for them. You should care for God's creation. But he says human beings are created in his image. You're unique. And and that doesn't just mean funny look. (laughs) You're unique in a sense. However you look, short, tall, skinny, fat, yellow, black, white, it doesn't matter. You bear the image of the Creator God. You have the ability to communicate God to the rest of creation. That's what being made in His image means. Valuing life is, is not a movement, it, per se. It's, it's truth. It's, it's, a, it's the reason that you have to protect it. Life is valuable because it's created in God's image. Listen to Genesis 1.27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. There's no other creature in the universe, no matter how complex or magnificent, that bears the image of God. Do not look at, at things on you know, uh, the Discovery Channel or when, when they'll, they'll run uh, pictures from the Hubble telescope and, and you'll just... You'll, I mean, it's just... I mean, mouth drops open. Wow, that's unbelievable. You can be fascinated if you're of a scientific mind whenever the issues of Ebola come up and, and, and all of this germology and things and how this, the virus mutates. And, you know, wow, that's really, that's really neat for, for people. But no matter how complex or how magnificent, there's nothing that bears the image of God except human beings. Human beings alone are capable of embodying God's attributes. Now, there are two types of attributes, communicable and incommunicable. It just simply means that there are certain attributes, there are certain things about God that as you bear His image and I bear His image, that, that you can communicate. You can be like God, if you will, in certain ways, and in other ways you can't. Those are the incommunicable. You can't be omniscient, although some of you wives probably would say your husband thinks he is, or vice versa. You can't be omnipresent. You are not omnipotent. You bear the image of God, but and God is all of those things, but you're none of those things, and you're incapable of becoming any of those. You're not sovereign. There's the self-existence of God. We are like God in some ways, and in other ways we're not. In the ways that we're like God, it means that we have the ability to reason, to think. We have will, emotion, and moral ability. Scripture lists wisdom and faithfulness and truthfulness and love and goodness and righteousness and mercy and compassion and holiness and graciousness and patience and peace and kindness and gentleness and joy and forgiveness and justice. I mean, those are, those are attributes of God that, that you can embody as a human being because you've been created in His image. You have that capability. As much as your dog is man's best friend, it, and as forgiving as, as, 
as the dog seems, even whenever you, you get mad at it and kick it and it comes back, you know, just like a big dummy. It's not forgiving you. He's just being a dog. But when you, when, when you are wicked to your, to your wife or your husband or your children and, and they, they forgive you, it's something completely different. And only you have the ability to do that. And you have the ability to do that because you were made in the image of God. And the fall affected that, of course. But Christ repairs that image marred by the fall. John Frame gives a helpful illustration. He says, As Adam begat sons in his defaced image of God, so Christ's children bear his pure image. Thus the Lord removes from us the distortions of the image due to sin and leads us toward a perfect likeness of God. An illustration of a photocopying. You can make really good copies from another copy as long as, as it's perfect. If you try to copy from a defaced copy, you'll, you'll get defaced images. Have you ever tried to make a copy of something and, and right there, you know, somewhere about 2 o'clock on the paper is a, is a blotch and you look for it on the original, you can't find it, and so you're, you know, you're at the copy machine, you're trying to rub it. It's, it reproduces. The recourse to fix that is to go back to the original or the perfect copy. To be restored in God's image, God must turn us away from our fallen nature in Adam and recreate us in Jesus Christ, who is both the original and the perfect copy. Praise God. Life is valuable because we bear the image of God and life is valuable. God declares life has value because we were created for Him. Life is God's. It's His. It's in His hand. And, 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 if, and if, if you go any other means by what He has ordained, you, you try to wrench that out of His hand, then it's an attack on God. Life has value. It has value because you are unique. You, you're, you bear the image of God. And life is valuable because we were created for Him. Now, in, in some sense that sounds... There's a, to, to our fallen natures, to our human minds, that almost sounds selfish. Like, you know, yeah, well, I was created for God. God just made all these human beings to serve Him and do whatever He wants. Well, that's our sinful nature that's coming out. The most blessed gifts that God has ever given us is that we were made for Him. We were made by Him. We were made for Him. You, you look at, at, at suicide rate. You, you look at, at, at alcohol and drug addiction. You look at people who, are, who, are, who look moral and, and are dressed nice and attend church every Sunday, but they're chasing after all kinds of other things because they lack joy and purpose in life. It's because they fail to understand this point that they were made for God. God created them. God created you for Him. Created you for a purpose. You're not just some random bunch of atoms bouncing through the universe. Think of how think of how hopeless and helpless the idea of evolutionary thought is. It's no wonder that people are hopeless and depressed in life. You there was no purpose to why you're created. You're you're an absolute product of chance. 
the only hope that you can have is to evolve the species upward, but the species is not really going anywhere because the species is just doing what the species does. The strong survive. And at the end of your life, no matter how much you accomplish, you go into the dirt and the worms are going to eat you, and that's it. There's nothing else. Well, that's a real hopeful way to live, isn't it? You know what God says? God says that He is the Creator. He made you for Him. You have a purpose. There is an eternity. And you can make a difference in this life and in the one to come because of Jesus. That's hope. That's, a, that's, that's the, the, the biblical understanding of creation. And life has value because you're made for Him. Listen to what Colossians also says. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And you can't take life because God gave it and it exists for Him. Now think about this practically. You know, Paul says, I speak to you on a human level. And what he's saying is, what I'm getting ready to say, I don't want it to deny all of the eternal aspects of God, but I'm going to say it in a in an earthly way, in a a way that that makes sense as far as the earth. To think about the taking of human life from a human or earthly kind of way. The ones that were created for God that are not here for God. Think of the 57 million in America alone. We pray that people would come to Christ. There are 57 million people that could have been used by God to reach the world for Christ. Think of all that have been lost, the doctors, the inventors, and the mothers who who will not live and make a difference because they were not allowed to. Life is valuable because you're made in the image of God, you're made for Him. And life is also proven valuable in the Bible by the penalty of death for those who take it. Jesus said that the government bears not the sword in vain. The authorities that God has ordained, God has ordained not anarchy on the earth, not self-rule, but He's he's ordained government. He's ordained an authority. And He has given those authorities the right to bear the sword. And He says that they don't do that vainly. You know that when it says life for life, what God is declaring, He's not devaluing human life. He's, he's exalting the value. He says that human life is so valuable that the punishment for wrenching it out of God's hands and ending it actually declares its value. If that were not true, then Jesus devalued life by dying. Jesus gave His own life. The Father poured out His wrath on the Son, on the cross, as a substitute for you. His life for mine. Let me give you the third fact. Life begins before birth. Biblical understanding. Life is God's. Life is valuable for those three reasons I gave you. And life begins before birth. We read that in Psalm 139. Verse 13 in Psalm 139 says God knows us before we are born. Verse 16, Psalm 139, God ordains our days in His book 
My days were written, the days that were literally ordained for me. It's a mystery to me how many days I'm going to live. Some mornings I wake up, I think it's going to be a long time. Some mornings I wake up, I think it's coming today, Lord. I don't know. But God knows. And in some mysterious, sovereign way, He has ordained every single day from the moment of my conception until the moment I open my eyes and see my Savior. I don't understand that. I don't understand how He does that, but He does. is what He declares. And life begins before birth. Life begins at conception. And it's everlasting from that point. Death doesn't end existence. It is just transition out of this earthly suit or shell or body given flesh and blood, given for the earth. And we will live in heaven or in eternal judgment depending upon what we do with, with Christ. Let me give you number four. The fourth fact is that the taking of human life outside of God-ordained judgment is murder. You can call it whatever you want to call it. You can call it euthanasia. You can call it choice. But whether you destroy yourself through some sinful habit, whether you take a life that is in your womb or you encourage someone to do that because you're selfish or whether you want to end your life because you're in great pain, the taking of human life because of all those things I just said, God is life is God's, it's valuable and it begins before birth. Taking it outside of God-ordained judgment is murder. You know the verse? We, it's Thou shalt not kill, but it's literally thou shalt not murder. God's law reveals God's character. It That commandment does not include war or the death penalty, but the taking of the life of another. The word kill in Exodus 20 verse 13 in the Hebrews used 43 times in the Old Testament. And it always means a violent, personal killing that is actually murder. It's... Someone is accused as a murderer, has that idea of a violent personal killing of, uh, of another. It's never used in the killing of war, with one possible exception in Numbers 35.27, or in judicial execution. word's not used. The word thou shall not murder, kill. And in scripture there, scripture, there's a clear distinction between legal putting to get death and illegal murder. Numbers 35, verse 19 says, The murderer shall be put to death. The word murderer comes from that same word, which is forbidden in the Ten Commandments. The word put to death is the general word that can describe legal executions. Again, I think John Piper is very helpful. Listen to him. When the Bible speaks of killing that is justifiable, it generally has in mind God's sharing some of His rights with the civil authority. So life is God's, and God shares those rights with the civil authority on specific cases, specific instances that He has ordained in order to help us understand the value of human life. Does that make sense? And when the state acts in its capacity as God's ordained preserver of justice and peace, it has the right to bear the sword. 
as Romans 13, 1 through 7 teaches. This right of the state is always to be exercised to punish evil, never to attack the innocent, Romans 13, 4. Therefore, thou shalt not kill stands as a clear and resounding indictment of the killing of the innocent. Exodus 4.11 says, The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who has who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Their worth in that verse is, is not devalued one iota because they're deaf or seeing or blind. Human life is not devalued one iota because they are potentially deformed whether that's mentally or physically, because God has declared that they have value. He's the one. You see what's happening in society? They're, they're, they're tearing up what is valuable and what's not. You have greater value because you have the ability to make wealth or you have the ability to absorb information and be educated. But this person down here that, that can't produce, they don't have as much wealth. It's exactly the opposite of what God says. As a matter of fact, you can go to a number of passages in the Bible, like in Exodus, that God says even those who we would perceive as having lesser abilities, God exalts and uses them in a great way. He uses the blind man to even declare Jesus Christ as Lord. Bring the list up before I give you number five, if you would. Life is God's. Life is valuable. Life begins before birth. Life taken outside of God-ordained judgment is murder. And number five, taking life can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. You remember how John Frame was talking about that idea of a photocopy? And how we bear the image of Adam, even though we're made in the image of God. Adam bore the image of God. And when the fall happened, there was a corruption that happened to that image. And now every human being is stamped with that corruption, that rebellion, that sin nature from Adam. And God would have been absolutely just to leave Adam in that situation and you and me in that situation. But He didn't. He brought the perfect copy. Jesus Christ, who is the perfect representation of God and also man. And He brought Him to bring about a recreation in you. And no matter what you've done from a sinful standpoint, you've done. And that comes from that fall, that sin nature that is there. But the Bible also declares that no matter what you've done, the blood of Jesus can wash it clean. All sin can be forgiven through Jesus Christ, through His death and resurrection. In fact, Jesus willingly laid down His life to cleanse you of the life that you took. And He wants to heal you and He wants to give you eternal life, and He wants to use you 
It's not over. I just met the, the new director of the Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center. She is the wife of a local pastor that I met at Ethan and Krista's wedding. Um, the lady that was there before, her testimony, how she was affected by the choices that she made as a young child. She's now taken a new pregnancy center in Myrtle Beach. And this woman, affected by choices of her past, is also there, upholding, being used by God in an amazing way. The great thing about God is God doesn't throw us away. He restores us, and then once He does, He uses us. Life, the taking of a life, can be forgiven. And that's hope. I want you to bow your heads. I'm going to give you some practical things in just a moment. But right now, I just want you to, this is your opportunity in the service to respond You've heard the Word, heard the Gospel, the hope of the Gospel. God has declared His His law, that He's the Creator. He's the one who has the right to, to say what is right and what is wrong. He tells us by His grace why, and we've seen that, and, and then He's given us hope for those who have fallen short of that bar. And He holds out to you uh, the promise of life. And I don't know. I don't know where you're at with Christ. I don't know what you've done. Oh, I know what I've done. And there's a number of things I've done I wouldn't want anybody to know about, but God knows them. And every single one of them He has forgiven and placed under the blood. Not because of my goodness or because I decided to become a preacher or anything else, but because He is merciful and gracious. And that merciful and gracious God wants to forgive you and wants to heal you and wants to give you purpose and hope in life. Not just you go into the ground and worms eat you and that's it. you turn to Him? You have to turn to Him. You can do it on your own. The copies that come from you and from any other human system will always reproduce the deformity or the fall. Christ can make you new. Father, as we come before You, we, we just give You praise and thanks. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You that You didn't leave us wondering with human opinion what is true and what is error and what is right and what is wrong. Thank You for Your... your even whenever You speak of, of breaking Your law and even when You speak of judgment, You don't lower that in any way, but it's mingled with mercy. And the hope of the Gospel is always there. Thank You for that. I pray for, for all of us here, Lord, that, that we would fight against the Antichrist and not against those who who are being preyed upon by Him, and that we would offer the hope of the Gospel to anyone. But hold clear and high your truth 
so that all may know. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.